Hello and welcome to the Matching Mom Teens podcast. I'm Shelby. I'm Nicole, and today we have a guest. I'm Yay, Morgan. welcome back. <laughs> You're back. Yes. Um, you and you and sis hadn't gotten to be on the podcast yet together. You replaced her and now you're all here. You're back by popular demand, Lori. How does that make you feel? Um, I'm shocked. <laughs> it is it is a little upsetting because my husband has decided that you are his like new person that he's really enjoys listening to. Like he likes your voice the most. You replaced sis. So he was my like voice? Yes. And he was like, Lori's coming back, right? And I was like, yes, she is coming back for, you know, our April consent conversation. And he was like, okay, so does she live close enough to come visit? And I was like, no, (laughs) she lives further than anyone else we know. Like that's gone. (laughs) We just need to have like a reunion somewhere centralized. Yeah. I don't even know. Maybe not centralized because I feel like that would be the middle of nowhere. So maybe well, like just a, like maybe one of the worst states, but you know maybe that's fine. maybe somewhere <laughs> cool. We could have a reunion somewhere cool. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Not temperature wise, like actually cool. Yeah, like just red ditch rocks or something. And go red rocks sounds fun. Um, but yeah, so April is um, child sexual abuse awareness. There's actually a lot of things with April that have to do with this conversation. It's um, domestic violence awareness. It's sexual assault awareness, um, child sexual abuse. It's also the month of the military child. <laughs> that doesn't really apply. but Hopefully um, completely unrelated. Completely unrelated. But um, that was why, Lori, I really wanted to bring you back um, to have kind of a pretty in-depth conversation about when you can start teaching the concept of consent, when you can, um, like what that looks like to introduce at different ages and what kind of your experience, if any, has been with that. Um, You and I have both worked in that field, but we also both have children. We have the unique experience that um, my sister does not necessarily have, which is that we are also parenting boys, which isn't meant to be a gendered conversation, but is more around like a social conversation because we do live in such a um, as much as we don't want to be, we live in a society where boys will be boys, but girls are supposed to be in charge of everything and girls are supposed to be, you know, kind of the people who are supposed to be in charge of protecting themselves, but are also looked upon as kind of the like weaker victimized situation. So it's this weird balance. And so I feel like, We have so much conversation with girls about consent as they're getting older, but like really arguably the conversation has to be with boys. And so all of the responsibility, but none of the respect falls on the the girls at society when it comes to a conversation around consent. I feel like all the responsibility, but none of the respect. Yeah. And boys kind of get the opposite. They get a lot of the respect and kind of benefit of the doubt, but no responsibility holding. So, um, to to review, Lori, how old are your kiddos? Four and two. And your girl is four and your boy is two. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And he just had a birthday, didn't he? Yeah. Yay. Ooh, happy birthday. How exciting. That's so fun. Because he's only a few weeks different than mine. And so. Yes. We're, yeah, we're prepping for that. <laughs> I, I I don't like little kid birthday parties. I'm going to have to get that together. I don't, not good at it. 
But um, I love birthday parties of all ages. I know. You're the best. I, I like know. to plan them. I like to go to them. Um, a woman posted on our neighborhood Facebook page and was offering to like pay people to help wrangle all the toddlers that were going to be at her kid's birthday party here in Ooh. town. And I mean, she was paying like $20 an hour. I seriously considered going because I was like, I would love to play with some random kids at this wonderful play park that she was having. But she just wanted like to be able, parents to be able to drop their kids off at the party. But then she was afraid that it would be like too much on her and like the workers. And so she was literally going to pay like two or three people to help her wrangle toddlers. I admire that. That's such a good idea. My ideal reach out to people and like not expect the parents to be the people to stay and wrangle like all of the because it inevitably you know this happened with um, my husband's soccer coaching experience is that like inevitably there's two parents that stay and they're in charge of wrangling and it's just like everybody else kind of runs away and it's like kind of an unfair division of labor so yeah that's that's actually a really cool idea I feel like I feel like my child's not old enough for me to definitively say this, but I feel like I'm going to be a stare. Like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I like I'd love being, to be a stare. Yeah, I, I kind of go back and forth. I like being a stare because, and like stay at the party because I feel like you get the opportunity to get to know the other parents that are around. And then you can kind of make the decision of like, oh, okay, I, w- I would maybe run to the grocery store or something. And we have like a one mom with the soccer team who's like both. She'll like, she stayed for like the first half and then she was like, I gotta go pick up my prescription at Walgreens. And then she like came back and it was just like 10 minutes, but it was like, okay, I like that. That's a good middle ground right there. Like run and get something and then come back and be part of the team. Yeah. Just pick up some ice cream for the rest of us on the way back. I know. Or at least like some form of drink, please. That would be wonderful. Okay. So so I'm going to run through Sonic and see you guys in a bit. So I um, I feel like I have a little bit of a cheat situation happening with this because not only do I have an, two older children than both of you, um, but one of mine is, you know, a college age person. And so <laughs> we constantly have conversations about um, consent and sexual health and, and friendships and relationships and things like that. But I think one of the overarching concepts that I try to teach parents that I work with is that consent is not only about sex. And I feel like we start teaching that from like day one of your child understanding like bodily autonomy. And I think it's so interesting because we get so many conversations with toddler moms or toddler parents about the idea of like the mind, mind, mind face and how I wish that there was a conversation about capitalizing on that mind, mind, mind face because that is it. Like, that's the moment where you're like, oh, okay, let's talk about this. Like, it's not only consent about that's your body and you want to do this independently, but it's also consent about like, you're right, that is your doll. (laughs) And technically, someone taking it from you is violating your consent in some ways. And we can, you know, there's sharing and there's kindness and there's being part of a community. But children almost kind of have this moment in their emotional and, um, like social development where they start to understand like, oh, that is an affront to who I am. Like you are different than me and what I want is this. And um, that's actually a really trying time for parents, but I think it's an important 
I wish we could capitalize on that. What, yeah. what's been your experience with that, Lori, as you've very clearly gone through it? Because I know you have a couple <laughs> of um, headstrongs. Um, I think the biggest thing for me is that it's more about retraining ourselves. Um, you know, we were raised, a lot of us, to be like very polite and to give in, to share even to our own detriment, whatever that means, especially as females, um, to give of ourselves to others or of our things. Um, you know, you hear stuff like, well, people will like you if you share. <laughs> um, and, you know, I know a lot of women that are people pleasers because of stuff like that. Um, And so I think it's just as much about retraining (laughs) ourselves as parents. Like I am in a constant battle of like, okay, I want you to be polite to your sibling, but I also need you to understand that this is your body. These are your things. Um, And so we do have (laughs) a lot of conversations about like, what's yours? What's his? Um, how we communicate with one another, when is a good time to share, when is, you know, like a good time to say like, no, I'm playing with this. Um, And I think a lot of the time we just say like, um, you know, this is yours, you were playing with it, you were playing with it first, and when you're done, you can pass it along Um, without the expectation that someone else has to just like give up what they're enjoying (laughs) to please someone else. And I think that that's, I find I end up in a lot of dynamics having a daughter first and a son second where, you know, he developmentally does not understand everything he's doing and I feel the need to protect her. But I have to find like a way to both communicate to him how his behavior is not okay on his level and also allow her to protect herself and use her own voice because she does try. And so I need to help her foster that. Um, yeah, but yeah, I think it's a lot about retraining myself in these moments and thinking it through and not just acting. Um, and of course, parenthood, some of it is just like acting to cut the noise, right? Like, yes, just stop fighting. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Well, but and one of my favorite be... things oh, about toddlers and young kids in general is that like toddlers are inherently honest. They're inherently going to tell you if something offended them. And so then as like a parent, I find myself sometimes like when my daughter who's 16 months is like upset or offended by something, I have to stop and think like, I mean, yeah, that would probably make me mad too. You know what I mean? Like if suddenly the walk outside is over or someone tells you you have to take your shoes off or whatever and you don't want to take your shoes off or whatever like they're they're so inherently honest and you don't want to teach them that they have to be dishonest because of some societal expectation that you grew up as it being your truth and so I think that that is the first step is having to relearn that for sure yeah and that is, um, that's a huge point because not only, uh, Lori, did you accidentally step into the conversation around like first daughters and kind of how that dynamic you're, I mean, you're actually raising the dynamic that I think led to so much of the current, um, I don't want to say problem, but like issue at large of like, it is the responsibility of the older girl because, oh, 
quote unquote, the boy doesn't understand, you know, whether or not there's a true age difference or not. So it's, it's very nice to that. You can even acknowledge that and navigate that. Um, and sister, what you said, that is the number one block. So like when you're thinking about teaching consent as a concept, you kind of want to break it down into these different kind of more manageable blocks. And like, yes, one of them is like personal autonomy and being honest and true to yourself. The other one is, Lori, exactly what you mentioned, which is like as parents kind of checking your own experience and checking your own truth and thinking, you know, what do I want to do differently? What do I want to do that worked for me? What would what do I wish someone had said to me? And that's a huge conversation that we're having as a generation of parents right now. But the other block you both touched on is communication and vocabulary. If a child has a way to communicate, no, I don't want to go in for my walk, then That doesn't necessarily mean that you have to bow to that as the parent. You know, maybe it's raining. Maybe you have been outside. Maybe it's lunchtime. Um, But even them having the opportunity to communicate, it gives you the opportunity to validate it and then move forward. And so one of the biggest tricks to having a conversation around consent at any age is developing a shared vocabulary, a way to communicate And there is a lot of conversation right now around like it needs to be accurate. Like you need to say the words penis and vagina and vulva and know the difference of them and all of those things. But, you know, there's also the conversation around understanding what's the difference between yours and mine? What's the difference between personal space and, oh, family kind of shared space? What about your personal bubble and people who you know entering your bubble versus people you don't know entering your bubble? And having kind of this full stack of vocabulary words of how you can grant permission because a a child doesn't know what permission is with the word, but they do know like, oh, okay, I asked for something and I was granted it. And so supplying kids with the way to communicate is the number one way to help them begin to understand this concept. And I think like that starts with language development as they're developing understanding of how to communicate, you can start getting those things in there. You know, what is the difference between yours and mine? Is that toy your brother's? You know, if it's your brother's and he's not playing with it, you can acknowledge it's your brother's and then play with it. If it's your brother's and he's actively playing with it, that's a completely different situation. And that right there is a huge concept in consent that's almost innate to us. We almost don't even think that that's something important. Well, I feel like it even can start before like true language development because I mean, my my daughter has been signing all done since she was like seven or eight months old and she still uses it. Like you can put that child in a grocery cart and if she gets tired of being at the grocery store, all of a sudden it is hands in the air all done. She is, she is revoking her consent to be in the grocery cart anymore, you know, and she is so done with it. And that's so important because that is, I mean, that's it. That's the first time you teach them how to do boundaries is no, all done. We're, 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 we don't have to do this anymore. And that's a huge thing Um, because you're right. Like, even if she doesn't know the word for, I don't want to be here anymore, or I revoke my consent to this, or whatever she knows, like if I do this sign, it is respected. It means that I have communicated that this is something I am done with. 
So well, there's a lot um, of times we can't stop and get her out of the grocery cart at that point. But I can at least say, like, I know you're all done. I would like to be all done, too. We are exactly. not. We have five more so, things on our list. <laughs> and I think sometimes I think sometimes I hear so many parents volley back and forth of that of like, well, I can't respect that, so I can't teach them consent with that example. But that's not actually a true statement because you are acknowledging that she's expressing a boundary, even if that boundary isn't something you can make happen. And I think that is how you teach children to build emotional intelligence and understand, you know, um, the best example is sibling dynamics, even though um, you only have one child, sis, because when you're teaching sibling dynamics, you're teaching the emotional intelligence of how you feel and that other people can feel that way too. And that you may do things that make other people feel things. And so that, that can be hard to balance because sometimes the answer is like, well, you're both wrong. Or sometimes the answer is you're both right. It is you, both of your toy. It is a shared toy bought by us that you both get access to. But then let's try to navigate that. And it's it's messy. And I think that's why parents shy away from the conversation of how to teach consent. And they think it's kind of this easier thing to work on, like, you know, kind of the older 12, 13, 14, good touch, bad touch concept around consent. But my favorite example is always going to be tickling. And that is because every kid, well, I won't say every kid, most kids enjoy the kind of fun panic of tickling. Like you can tickle a child and they will smile. But as a parent, waiting for them to be able to calm their body down enough to say all done or no is actually a little too far. What you should be doing and what we would like to teach parents to start doing is taking a second to check in. If your child isn't laughing and making eye contact with you and kind of enjoying everything about it, or it's been like, you know, a minute or two and you're still kind of stuck in the same cycle, you can stop and say, oh, more tickles are all done. Or, you know, hey, do we do we want to keep playing tickles? Do you want to tickle me? You know, like. It doesn't ruin the fun. You still have all of the fun, but you are teaching a moment of like, hey, wait, is that overwhelming for you? Or is this fun that it's overwhelming? You know, because we know, I mean, most everyone knows that like tickling is about overwhelming your sensations. It's fun because of that. But it also can make you feel really out of control. And I mean, is it is that true or is that a fake fact that they used to use tickling as a form of torture on royal people because then it didn't leave marks? It was something I've never heard of that. Okay, so I have no idea if it's accurate. In fact, if somebody knows if it's accurate, <laughs> you just made that up. That's amazing. No, I read it in a um. Let's see, I was in like junior high, and I read a bunch of like historical fiction, and one of them was like, you know. Henry the whatever got um, quote unquote tortured and they tickled him because it was overwhelming and he or they would get information. It was it was something about like you could make people feel overwhelmed and basically to get the torture to stop, provide information, but it didn't leave any marks. So you didn't like you 
you know, they didn't go back to their kingdom and be like, I was tortured kind of thing. If they didn't do it before, they're definitely going to do it now because you just made a great (laughs) argument for it. (laughs) Well, and that's that's why tickling always comes to mind. Again, if anybody has any information on that, please email it to me (laughs) because I've always thought that was the most fascinating thing. And maybe that's why I haven't looked it up because if it's fake, I'm going to be sad Um, because it is true. You know, like my husband... um, cannot stand his feet to be touched like it is immediately ticklish it's it's and it's kind of a constant reminder for me of consent because occasionally I will be like aha I'm gonna get him and it's like oh no 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 like even the first involvement in him having to reinforce his boundary is me violating a consent and a boundary that he has communicated before and you know I'm human so sometimes I mess up on it but it's one of those things where It's a good opportunity to start having the conversation because your child is able to feel empowered of like, wait, I do get a say, you know, it's not just something. And the same thing is easy. I'm I'm sure you've both experienced this of like when your child starts communicating, oh, I want to play this game. I don't just want you to play with me. I want you to play this game this way with me. That is the beginning of understanding a personal autonomy and expressing a boundary because if you go and sit down with them and they wanted you to build a block tower and you start you know building a racetrack out of the blocks they're gonna get mad at you and frustrated at you because that is not what they asked you to do and the same thing is true if you apply it to the concepts of consent you know if you ask somebody to kiss you and they lick your face (laughs) like that is not what you consented to I'm just saying. I was trying to think of a example that was accurate, but not, you know, keeping it PG right. here. Um, because you can, you can talk about it. So um, do you guys have any experiences with that with your kids? Is there anything that's like a firm no with your kids that you've noticed? I don't, I don't think we have anything that's like a firm no, but she definitely, she does get all done with things and she says all done with things even things that like she sometimes likes or something you know like thinks is fun but then all of a sudden that day it's not any fun and so like that's always a good reminder my husband is definitely a no don't even even say the word tickle around me absolutely not (laughs) um which is really funny now that our toddler is getting to the point where she kind of likes to pretend tickle you oh yeah (laughs) <laughs> because like she pretends tickles me and I laugh the same way that I would laugh if somebody actually tickled me but she pretends tickles him and he kind of like deadpan stares at her like what are you doing don't ever do that to me no thank you <laughs> Yay! but I mean and hey, like, that's a perfect like, you could laugh and he's like no because one day she's gonna be eight and think it's okay to tickle me and I'm gonna just like you know just elbow her really hard in the face <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, solid point you set that boundary now and she will know that she cannot tickle that <laughs> exactly I mean that is that is straight up the perfect example and he's right about that even though I would argue you know my first thought is too like oh play along she's a baby but it's like no actually that's 100% correct because one day she will and that brings in the Look conversation physical of like harm. creating situations <laughs> Well, yeah, but also like, yeah, she could punt it. He could punt her across the room, but also like (laughs) creating shame because, you know, one day he's going to get fed up and be like, I hate 
when you took away, leave me alone. And she's going to have all these memories of like, oh, well, then have I been wrong all of these other times? And of course, the answer to that is no, like we created it. But you're opening that door for that automatic kind of shame, guilt of like, oh, I don't like that. I, you know, and that is where like when we're talking about consent at all ages, we move from the baby conversation into the general conversation of like practicing it. And I think that's a big one. You know, we like to sometimes even there's always, you know, kind of the the generic like asking if you want to give someone a hug or a high five or a kiss or whatever, whenever like a grandparent leaves or an aunt or an uncle. But there's also use utilizing screen time. You know, if you're watching um, a movie or something, you know, like we recently watched Moana and um, when is it Maui? Is that his name? The the Dwayne Johnson character that dances. Anyways, um, he keeps picking the girl up and throwing her off. Did you just call the the rock by his, like, government name? (laughs) His name is Dwayne the Rock Johnson. That's that's his government name. His middle name is the rock. I don't know. That's not real. (laughs) It's like, I thought the rock played that. (laughs) He keeps picking her up. He keeps picking her up and throwing her off the boat. And she's getting really mad. And the ocean keeps putting her back up on the boat. And, like, we were watching it, and I was like, wow, this is a really good opportunity to have this conversation with, you know, our almost six-year-old of, like, she doesn't like that, does she? And he was like, no. And I was like, that makes her really mad. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, do you, would you like it if somebody did that to you? And he's like, no. And I was like, huh. Yeah, maybe we should listen to our friends when they have boundaries. And it's like, it's as simple as that. Like, you don't have to be like, don't be Maui or you're a mean person or, (laughs) you know, you you know, like you don't have to create this huge conversation. Just more of like, did you see that? Ooh, she got mad. I think that would make me mad, too. You know, Um, and having that kind of like as they're getting older in that like elementary age, like even conversations around their friends. Like, I'm, I'm sure, Lori, when you worked with kids so many of your conversations in therapy were probably about classmates and and that's a big one I feel like because teachers don't always have time to like address those things and have the conversation around it but if your kid is coming home from school and talking about um you know so and so keeps pulling my hair that's a big one in like historical conversations it's like yeah well no wonder that that's annoying to you and it bothers you but it becomes such a big issue because no one's respecting your autonomy. You know, when you're going and asking for help, no one's helping you. And that's the oftentimes one of the first times that we're seeing little kids feel like not just the frustration of not being listened to, but also the almost like physical response that your body has when it's violated. Um, right. And that's why I think we have so many people who are like, well, I don't understand what the big deal of, you know, so-and-so, you know, pulling on the back of their hoodie or when we were in school, it was the popping of the bra straps. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. just annoying. Like, but it's also like this kind of feeling of helplessness. You feel that in your chest and in your gut. Um, and teaching your kids to understand that gut feelings are real, like visceral responses are real. I think sometimes in elementary school, especially, that just gets glossed over. Of like, well, yeah, that's frustrating. Or, you know, kind of just minimized. But it's those little kind of micro minimizations that get so I think, bad. 
I think that that's like the reason I've changed some of my philosophy recently on how to handle my kids when they are pushing each other's boundaries. Um, And usually it's my two-year-old boy pushing my four-year-old daughters. (laughs) Yeah, Um, because that's boundaries. He loves to, like, he loves to struggle and he'll, he'll bulldoze though. Like he'll push with his head. He wants to snuggle with his head. And like, sometimes it'll be really funny and they'll have a blast doing it. And other times she is not having it. And for a long time, I would like try and break it up or, um, you know, approach it from some other angle, but I've started, (laughs) I've started just letting her do whatever she wants to make it stop. And that's not without boundaries. She's just not a hitter or a pusher. So like, yeah, luckily I I don't have to worry about that. I mean, he's lucky, honestly, that she has not just smacked (laughs) him upside the head. Um, (laughs) so like, obviously there would be boundaries of how we treat other people, But I've let her use her voice. Sometimes she screams at him. And while it drives me a little bit bonkers, um, it is, it's empowering to her to allow her to use her voice. And then I just take care of him. You know, I allow her to speak up. And I think, like, I don't condone violence. I don't think that, you know, like little kids should be punching back in response. But I also think, especially with daughters, we have this responsibility to encourage them to use their voices and to encourage them to speak up um, where, you know, a lot of the time we would just tell them, like, tell them no, and then, you know, see if they respond. And if not, go tell a teacher. I'm way past that point. Like, I want my daughter to be able to, like, scream at someone so other people look and see what's going on. Yes. And I, like, I'm okay with that. Or, you know what? If someone's bothering her enough and she turns around and hits them, like, they probably deserved it because she's not a hitter. And so I think that while I don't condone that violence, it doesn't seem as necessary to me to be concerned about that being a response to someone pushing her boundaries. Well, and I feel like the other alternative to her using her voice would be if you told her to like move or whatever. But if she was there, then you can't blame her for being in the wrong place and then having something done to her that she didn't want. You know what I mean? Like, like, well, why were you sitting there? You know what I mean? (laughs) But that is the narrative. I mean, how many times on the playground at school or when you were a child or whatever, if something happened and somebody was mean to you, they were like, well, you could just go play somewhere else. And then now the narrative is, why were you jogging in the early mornings in the dark? You know what I mean? Like, why were you over there? by? Why didn't you have all your friends with you? You know what I mean? Like, that is the narrative because we as children were taught to just move away. And so, like, you can't teach her to just move away either because that just feeds into everything. Well, and as a mother who has, so like our middle child is a mover, like he is very quiet and has a little bit of issues. Like one of our, you know, one of our biggest issues is he won't ask for help. He does not ask for help with anything. He will sit and silently cry with a bag that he can't open of chips or something, but he will not ask for help. And we worked on that. We've been working on it for years I mean, since he was three or four years old and it's heartbreaking. And now that his brother has become aware of it at almost two years old, 
it is kind of sad because even though we have now started trying to say like come and get someone for help now we're also trying to have the conversation of like come back here with me to the situation and try to use your voice you know instead of you know he took all of my toys and he won't let me play and everything's bad and everything's awful and now I'm sobbing you know like is there a moment for you to just say absolutely not don't take that car that car matters to me and yes there is a moment of conflict like you said Lori but it is it's a productive conflict it's a it's not just squabbling to squabble it's a productive conflict which is this is my boundary and I will defend it instead of okay, well, that was my boundary, but I can see that you want that space. So I'm going to move my boundary over here because that moving boundary is what causes <laughs> such an easy slip up. You know, that's that's right. how that's how consent gets bowled over is just mm-hmm. this constant moving boundary. And so teaching your child that there is good conflict, there is good disobedience, there is a good moment, you know, having a 10-year-old be able to look someone in the face and say, no, no, that's not okay. Yeah, they're being disobedient in that moment. They may even be being disrespectful in that moment. But is it productive? Is it a productive moment of defending their boundary? And I love how you described it with your daughter of like, if she's gotten to the point where she's hitting something, someone, something big is going on. And that comes from knowing your child. Like Mm -hmm. knowing that if it has gotten that bad, then something is going on. And I think that is one of the most, again, that goes back to that shared vocabulary and ability to communicate of like, if it has gotten to that point, then there is something big happening. Um, And it doesn't always mean that it's, you know, it could be on her side. It means maybe something's really going on with her, or it could be that her boundary was pushed that far. And so I think. But it's like clear that for her, that is like extremely dysregulated. Um, yes. And I mean, I do still have conversations with her about like good communication and how we can talk to one another. Um, like I don't just, you know, let her duke it out and then, you know, go get on to my two year old. Um, but consent works in the reverse with the two of them as well, because he is not really verbal. He doesn't want to talk yet. Um, and so she'll do stuff for him that he doesn't want her to do. And the only thing he can do is like, you know, yell at her. (laughs) Um, And so I have to teach her to also pay attention to what he is trying to communicate um, and to be more aware, especially, and I do think it's really interesting. Like she wants to help with things, but sometimes it's overbearing. And so teaching He may not want to accept the help. Yeah. Um, Teaching her how to pay attention to what he's communicating without being able to communicate, I think is just also a really good skill. Um, She can pay attention to his face, his body language, his tone, um, you know, what all he's doing whenever he doesn't want that. And I've, you know, like teach her to ask if he wants help. Um, And so that, like, it goes both ways. Of course, his is, like, more aggressive. And we do, like, I am all about phrases like no means no in our house. Like, we are going to be very clear when someone says no. But I also have really been working on, especially with my four-year-old, you know, um, I don't think that that sounds good or I'm not sure about that. Like, those are no's too. 
Yeah. Or I'm not sure I feel comfortable or, you know, maybe this isn't a place I want to be right now. All of those things mean no. No, it's not just no means no. It encompasses something much larger. If you have to coerce someone, if you have to convince them, that's a no. Yeah. And so I've been working with her on that one. Yeah, that's that enthusiastic yes. And I think you can have, again, like that conversation, like you've been saying, of like those things also mean no. But you can also have that conversation around everything. You know, listening to your gut and taking things seriously can be as simple as, I'm not so sure that I want to go down this big slide at the playground. And it might be embarrassing that I got all the way up here and now I have to go all the way back down past all the kids that are in line. But I'm still allowed to do that because I'm listening to my gut and not just charging forward. And I think not only are you teaching her something really important when it comes to listening to others expressing those things, but also herself, you know. If I can't fully commit to the yes or the no on this, then I'm probably going to stay safe on the side of no, and then we'll go from there. Because, um, you know, that's that's how people get hurt. That's how people get, you know, unsafe. We had the conversation. I love I loved to tease my daughter about this. But, um, you know, her experience getting her driver's license. And we ended up having the conversation of, like, no, if you don't feel safe, you know, for a while... She was like, yes, yes, yes. I can learn all this. I can get my permit. She was just knocking it out of the park. And we got to the point where I looked at her and I was like, you are ready to take this test. You are driving. You are following all the rules and everything. And all of a sudden she was like, I don't think I can. And it's like, okay, well, if you don't think you can, then that that is a no. Like, even though you have the skills and you have the, we know that we have confidence in you because you yourself don't have confidence. And we did, we had to like shut it down of like, okay, we're not doing practicing driving anymore because we tried to push it several times, like full honesty, her father and I pushed her into the car several times. And we're like, you're going to drive us around. You're going to drive us to go get ice cream. You're going to do whatever. And those are some of the most dangerous times I've ever been in a car. Like (laughs) we pushed it. (laughs) We did. We, we completely violated her before she was ready and her confidence. Yeah. Before she was ready. And because of that, she was so holed up in her fear and anxiety um, for reasons there's no reason to get into. But it was like she was so deep in that that if there was anything I could go back and tell myself in 2020, it would be like, hey, just a no is a no. Like it, a no is not a yes. Like even though you know she has all these skills and even though you know that she has the ability to do this and the confidence – Like you can't have the confidence for someone else. And ultimately that was what we ended up having to come to was like, we know that she can do it, but she doesn't know that she can do it. And so the answer needs to be no on the practice driving for a while. Um, She did get her, she did get her license. We're fine. (laughs) She's an excellent driver, but, um, and she was then, but it's, that is one of the most important things I think of all the time is like, even at 16, you know, no means no but also I don't know and I'm not sure and I don't think I want to are also all no's and that's as parents we we don't always think of that um well and as like the newest mother on the podcast today it's very encouraging to know that like I'm not gonna get it right every time and there will be times where I don't respect my child's consent in that way and so then like reconciling that and just the more opportunities that you have and the more opportunities that you do get it right 
you know, those, those matter too. Yeah. I, I think that, that I would argue that the moments that you don't get it right are some of the most important moments for them to learn. Like, and that is a big component of, you know, teaching consent in general is to take it seriously. It's not scary to take things seriously. And, you know, that goes back to a conversation you and I've had a lot about like repairing and apologizing with your child when you have done something, whether or not it's major or minor, coming to them and saying like, I was really mad about something else and I'm really sorry that I snapped at you that I should not have done that or I was really mad at you and I snapped at you and that was not how I should have been handling my big feelings and I think that's important that I think it is so easy as a parent to fall into the trap of wanting to make everything fun and silly and not scare them and not stress them out and not do these things but this there are moments to take things seriously and teaching them that it's okay to take things seriously. Um, I feel like that's important. Well, I've, I once read a book. I don't know what it was. I'm not even going to try to come up with the title of that book. <laughs> um, but I once read a book that was talking about how like the difference in a depth of relationship, like the, the way you go deeper in relationships is through struggles and reconciliation. And like, I mean, that that's apparent just by the people on this podcast. I mean, I've had multiple roommates, but Lori and I were college roommates, but she was the first one who like got in my face and was like, listen to the words coming out of my mouth right now. Yes. You and know I what I mean? Like, that as your that's former. the first time. You know what I mean? Like, and my sister, <laughs> you know, you know, my sister and I have gone like straight up at each other's throats before, yeah. but that, that, that leads to the kind of lasting relationship they're like, I don't want to fight. I don't want to fight with that sweet baby girl sleeping two doors down the hallway right now. Like, I don't want to. But at the same time, I do want to have a real relationship with my daughter. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and I know that I know that it it is going to take tackling the bigger conversations like consent. And it's going to take me stepping on her toes my, and her stepping on my toes. Hopefully not literally because right now she's in a toe-stepping stage and it kills me <laughs> so much. That's triggering That's for me. Call, Talk about triggers that shouldn't be triggers. What happened to me in my past life that something stepped on my toes and now I, like she steps on my toes and I can I feel like my eyeballs are going to explode. It is not okay. But like <laughs> figuratively stepping on my toes is going to happen and like – I feel like maybe that should be an encouragement, especially to those of us who have sweet baby, chubby-cheeked babies right now that we don't want to have these big conversations with because we don't want to, we don't want them to experience strife in life. But at the same time, that's how those conversations, that's how those relationships get deeper. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I'm sure that Lori can back me up on this, but as a woman, there is a, a distinct moment. And I've talked to several people I know who are raising like gendered boy children and you have a moment every boy mom I know Lori you may not have but has a moment where they look at their child and they're like I can't imagine you growing up and assaulting someone like that would I I told my husband I was like in some ways I would rather if any of our children ever went to jail I would rather it be for murder than something like sexual assault and that is or domestic violence. And that's, I'm that's not a bold that. statement to put <laughs> in a recording that will ultimately live for quite some time on the internet. I hope well, this doesn't come back to bite you one day. <laughs> well, and let me, let me, let me provide context for that statement. It is, I, 
I'm saying, and this is a completely selfish thing, I'm saying as a parent, it is almost easier to understand the concept of anger, unchecked anger, that leads to something like blind rage. <laughs> I mean, it is it is easier as a parent to go, okay, yeah, you know, I guess, than it is to think about the meticulous kind of I, it's, it, I would never be able to explain that. So, I don't know why I said that as somebody who watches a lot of true crime, what you're saying is it would be easier for your child to go to jail for manslaughter than it would be for murder. Because murder is definitely a violation of consent. Let's be honest. Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, I would rather none of my children ever go to jail. I'm going to lay that right out. For anything. I don't want any incarcerated children. Um, and I don't want them to get away with any crimes. I would like law-abiding children. Um, I just but like how far is- that went off the rails. Sorry, man. I don't know where I was going. Well, I do know where I was going. Where I was going with that, where I was going with that is we know that by age 17, nearly every young woman, young females identify that they hate their bodies. We also know that one in four women by the age of like 25, I think experience sexual assault one in six young men are those people committing the assaults in so many ways and so those are really shitty statistics i mean absolutely i think that is the first cuss word on this podcast and it is accurate those are really awful when you sit here and think about the fact that between us we have six children that sucks sis is counting i can see it in her face I literally just, was counting just then. Just I was like, hey, how do we get to six? Uh, yeah. But and well, and I was trying to figure out if we had, because I mean, my daughter has a play group that she plays with regularly and it's made of, of three girls. Yeah. And, and that's so like scary. one in and four is a shockingly terrifying statistic. It is. For it a mother really of, a, of a 16 month old baby girl who plays with other one year old baby girls. And so I think now I come back to why I let my daughter scream. Right. Now all of a sudden we are all team Lori and we are hoping that she teaches her daughter how to throw a really nice right hook. You know what I mean? That's why why when you think about and, and where I was going with kind of the like looking at your child and being like, I can't imagine ever someone ever hurting you or you ever being the perpetrator against someone that should be the scariest thing. And yet I hear so many parents when I'm talking with them say, oh, having a conversation about, you know, I know you're having sex and here's how to have safe sex. Here's consent in sex. I know you're drinking. So here's how to do it safely. I know you like I have worked with so many parents who would say, but I just can't handle knowing that information. I just can't handle knowing that information. It just but breaks that's my heart. Not that's the about big you. That's about yes. you and your mind. Yeah, not about actually protecting your child. But also, again, like it's significantly less scary than your child has gone to jail. (laughs) Like that's where I'm going with that. It's significantly less scary than getting a call from a hospital room that your daughter is going to have to have a rape kit performed. Yes, and so if you can have that, for lack of a better word, courage, and and you know have these conversations earlier so you're not just expecting abstinence you're not just expecting i mean so 
the the age of young women, females, children starting menstruation has dropped to now the average age is between 11 and 13. That sucks. It's gone down. It goes down every year. Some people are reporting it at 9 to 11 now. I don't know that that's been accurate with the pandemic and, you know, all of the data is skewed. But, like, then you start thinking about, like, the average age. I Well, okay, this was accurate in 2018. I have not done any research since. So let me just caveat that. It's five years. But in 2018, a report came out that the average age for the first sexual contact was 11 in America. Oh. Yeah. So we're not, you don't have time to wait for the sixth grade teacher to have a conversation about your body is changing and puberty. You know, well, we have and third I... graders who are starting to menstruate at age nine and 10. You don't have time to wait for these conversations. Their friends, and you their definitely... friends are teaching them. <laughs> if nothing yes. else. Well, and, and their, their friends' phones are teaching them because even if you do not have a piece of technology, in fact, we on Friday, um, my mom and stepdad and I took uh, my youngest to the aquarium and we absolutely loved it. And there was this third grade, there was a group of third graders there on a field trip. Um, they were super well-behaved kids. They were wonderful. We all happened to sit down at the like Stingray Cafe at the same time. And they're all sitting there having a little bit of a lunch break. And every single child is either on their device or sharing a device screen with a friend who has one. And this isn't a conversation about oh screen time and blah, blah, blah. But it is the internet is a portal to knowledge that did not exist in previous generations. And to ignore that and stick your head in the sand and teach your child nothing is to put a giant target on their back because if they don't have the language to communicate something that they're seeing with you, if they don't have the emotional intelligent and understanding of personal autonomy to understand that it's okay to have a boundary or, Oh, Hey, I saw something that freaked me out. Or like, if you're not the person they're going to come and talk to, like Lori said, their friends are going to teach them. And I don't know about either of you, except that I do know about either of you. I would so much rather be the person teaching my kid. Right. And I think that the other thing that's important to remember is that there is a normal developmental stage where your friend, where your children's friends become their primary source of information. And that is just a normal, it's a normal part of development. It's something that they all go through. And that's like the start of them not coming to you as much for information. And yeah. so you have to head that off by just giving it to them. <laughs> and I think some of that is also just, de- yeah, like exactly. And that's okay. Like if your kids are the teacher, as long as they're properly informed, that's so much better than, Hey, my friend heard this the other day, or, you know, I was on the yeah. internet and I learned this the other day, the telephone effect. Right. And so, you know, they, they know the truth in spite of, you know, they might be, there might be glamorization or they might be fooled by some of it, but they still have that base of knowledge to come back to. Um, and so I think that that is vital to, you know, like it, just give them that information slowly. And I think there's also, you know, we have to destigmatize sex in some ways, you know, mm-hmm. as like, yeah, 
and how but we to be clear, we're to not even children. talking just about sex. Like, right. I mean, but especially in I the think, conversation of consent. Right. But I think in order to have like these proper conversations and to understand like my body, your body, we do have yeah. to pay attention to not just, you know, everyone that's clothed the same way or clothed to the most modest. Like we have to be willing to have a conversation about how our bodies look and how our bodies are different and about how that's not like some mist I don't know how to explain what I'm saying but basically that these are just the way our bodies are made they're bodies yeah. they're not objects they're not something to behold in some fascination kind of way um, we have to destigmatize they're not, yeah they're neutral yeah, they're not they're good bodies. And bad. they're neutral existing things it's something yeah. I didn't quite realize is how much the conversation around body neutrality is I mean it's it's so body neutrality is so interwoven with the conversations about consent, which is so interwoven with the conversations of um, identity and allyship in some ways. And so many of these like issues that people try to like separate and make black and white, but really it's about, it all boils down to like, understanding yourself and respecting yourself and respecting those around you and and wanting to understand those around you like exactly all of that comes down to that like there's that there's a humanity in that that gets lost when we start to pick it off and we start to draw black and white lines where there are not black and white lines and we start to try to like force a good and a bad a light and a dark onto different things. And then the line gets blurry. I mean, like it's, it's, if you don't want your child to grow up, like thinking that something is, is blurry, then don't draw a line where there's not a line, you know, like. Very true. Well, and, and, and to both of your points, you know, like you can't just draw circles on a doll and say, these are the bad things and these are the good things, you know, your body has to be a neutrally existing things. And then you have to provide the context for that. So like one of the most important things that I literally never thought about is the concept of teaching until, I, you know, until I had a kid old enough is teaching the concept that not only do you want to, for independence sake, teach your child like their own self hygiene when it comes to like going to the bathroom and toilet training, because as parents, we obviously don't want them walking around with things stuck to their butt, but <laughs> Making sure that they can take care of themselves is a continuing conversation of consent because if they can take care of themselves, then they have the ability to either A, ask for help and know who is appropriate to ask for help and you get to have that conversation. But also it extends to an even further conversation of like, this is your body and here's some confidence you have that you are capable of taking care of your own body. You shouldn't need someone coming in and quote unquote pretending to help you. Um you know, and that extends in such an interesting way because we have, um, you know, we have this whole conversation around like teaching your child in toilet training to like wipe their own butt. But then there's also like when your kid is in the bath or the shower, do you trust them to wash their own genitals and wash the rest of their body? Because I know that you probably let them, you know, as they're getting older, scrub their shoulders and their bellies. But like, do you let them be in charge of that? And that's a 
weirdly hot topic in some worlds because they're like, oh, well, no, they could get a UTI if I don't check things. And it's like, okay, that would be awful. Yes. But what an but amazing opportunity to have a conversation. Them. Yeah. But also what an excellent co- time to have that conversation. <laughs> they have learned. I mean, that's awful. And, you know, obviously, if you have a child who has a developmental issue or something like that, where you do have to modify that, then you need to be modifying your conversation around consent. But I know so many parents that are like, you go in and I'll come in and wash your hair for you and wash your butt for you. And it's like, no, no. Um, I think we as parents sometimes have to be willing to give over the control. And that is scary in so many ways. But the truth is that the control is not ours to have in the first place. It is theirs. It is their body. And when you stop thinking that this tiny human is yours to take care of and start remembering that this is a tiny human that you're supposed to be teaching to take care of themselves. To take care of themselves. It's a very different perspective. So I know that you guys are running out of time, but I did want to talk about two things. (laughs) And I think it's probably my two favorite sentences to tell children of any age. I mean, we're talking. I I love a good rule of thumb. Something that I can stick in my head and have filed in my back pocket. The number two things, two, two different things that I think you should always, always, always remind your children. Adults don't ask kids to keep secrets. There is never, ever a secret, which means as parents, you can have your child in on a surprise hey, this is a surprise party for mom, which is why we're not going to tell her. Her Christmas present is a surprise, but it's not a secret. Adults do not need kids to keep secrets. Kids keep other kids' secrets. And you can have a conversation as they get older of like, what is a a secret that's completely fine to to keep and what's a secret that might be hurting someone? That's an older kid conversation. But adults don't need kids to keep secrets. And the other one is adults don't ask children for help ever in the history of the world an adult asks another adult for help adults help other adults children can be helpful but children should never be the people in charge of helping you can be helpful to your friends and you can you know help be helpful in your classroom but if an adult is asking a child for help with something that is a red flag because okay. i need some clarity adult... okay so <laughs> Break it down. Because I definitely have asked my 16-year-old to help me feed the dog and to help me unload the dishwasher. But again, that is being helpful. That is the difference between being helpful. If I'm I'm trying to think of the exact best way to describe this. Lori, do you have a good way to describe this? Well, I think that – so I think that you, like – have to draw parameters. You have to, of course, make your definitions of being helpful. You know, when are scenarios that it's okay to be helpful? You know, if you're in a class with your peers and your teacher asks you to help with something, if um, there's an emergency, which you have to define emergency, and a lot of us anymore have medical conditions or for some reason, which Nicole, I was already going to talk to you about this. Some of those conversations (laughs) of how you, um, prep your children for what an emergency is um and someone says hey go get help (laughs) right like those are parameters when you are being helpful um if someone is asking you to go somewhere that's a huge red flag right like yeah that's if it is not to your parents 
Like yeah. if it is not and to you your have been parents, singled out. Right. Yeah. Right. So like, come with me, go somewhere. Um, like not go to your parents. That's something completely different. You know, like that is a safe space. If someone ever says yeah. like, go to your parents, they're probably protecting you in some way. <laughs> right. Yeah. I guess um, I missed a step there because the, the concept would be safe adults don't ask kids to be the only, to be the help. So like if you don't know an adult, then you have to very quickly, children have to very quickly sort a new adult or new figure in their life into safe or unsafe. Do I know this person or not? Um, a safe adult that you do not know should never be asking a child for help. That is never, hey, I'm your brand new person. I need you to carry my groceries to my car. Hey, ah, okay. I'm so an adult a, who doesn't know you. That's a parameter for me. Yeah. Yes. So, so no adult ever should be asking a child to keep a secret. But safe adults. So again, that's kind of the difference between being helpful. You can be helpful to an adult you know. A, an adult you don't know asking you to come and do something to help them is a is a weird dynamic because if they really need something heavy moved and you're a 10 year old boy they probably should just ask your dad or your mom they're better at lifting things mm -hmm. if you are um you know being asked to help carry a bunch of things in well you know two hand two sets of hands are better than one why can't your mom come and help you know those are the ways that you mm -hmm. want your kid to kind of start distinguishing things is right. if, if an adult that you don't know very well is asking you to keep a secret or asking you to provide them with a lot of help, the number one question they need to be asking themselves, your child needs to be asking themselves, is why doesn't this adult have other adults around to help them? Because ideally I, what your child understands is healthy is like, oh, adults can help each other. Like, I don't have to feel that sense of responsibility because there are other adults around that can help this person. Right. Um, I would like to add a caveat. And Nicole, I know you know this like really well. Um, but for anyone in our audience that is not sure, or we me. can only <laughs> define safe adult so far. Because yep. predators tend to be people that our children know. So I want to make that like very clear yes. that our children yes. are the ones defining safe adult. You can't say your teacher is a safe person because that is not always the case. You can't say your yes. doctor is a safe person because that is not always the case. You can say yep. these are things that safe people do and then you have to listen to your body. Um, exactly. And if ever, anyone that mom or dad seems to trust does not feel safe to you, then you need to have a conversation about how your child can approach you and tell you those things because children, while they might not understand, yes. you know, this is not my family, but for example, like grandpa is not a safe person. Um, you know, they start to sense that they just start to feel really uncomfortable when yeah. that's the case. You need to prep them because they notice your dynamic and your relationship. And so they don't want to interfere with that. You need to Which, yes. enable them to have those conversations with you and say, no conversation like that is off limits. If you feel unsafe, tell me, because that comes before everything else. Yeah. Okay. And that goes I back that to clarification. having, yeah. And I, I thank you so much for that, Lori, because that was, again, sometimes I feel like when you work in the field and then you also parent in the field, I leave really important things out even when talking to my kids. And that's why I wanted to have this conversation as a collective because um, 
it is really easy to jump steps. And like you said, sis, like I wouldn't have thought that that is a kind of hard concept because to me, like there's no reason that an adult would need to go to my kid over me for help. But you're completely correct, Lori, that um, children and adults experience people like you can experience one person completely different by all five members of my family like one person in my family (laughs) may mean something different to oh like okay let me let me repeat so let's say that like there's an uncle well my five members of my family may experience that uncle completely differently and so that is why you know these kind of harder lines like she said you know um are really only useful like adults not asking kids for secrets adults not asking kids directly for help that is something that we have to practice as safe adults in our own life but also um we have to teach our kids to listen to their instincts to be able to understand and and trust their bodies to be able right because be honest and true to themselves and validate themselves because it may feel completely safe to us to go okay yeah go over there and do that thing but to them it may not and we have to remember that we're not in control they are right and and we i mean it's kind of like we said at the beginning like one this is a much bigger conversation than we can cover just in one episode definitely but two like the children are inherently honest. And so to teach them to kind of learn from their own bodies and stuff like that, that is the best, that is the best teacher. That is going to be the best like root of their source of consent. That is, is, is going to be their own instincts. And that's what they need to be listening to even more so than the words coming out of our mouths or the catchphrases we come up with or the, you know, how this is defined in our family versus how this is defined in your family, you know, like it's going to come down to what it feels right for them and in their bodies. And that seems like a really big challenge when you're not in that body. You don't know. Right. You know? And so yeah. that, that it's, yeah, it it's, can feel really it's I'm not going to lie. It seems like I'm, I'm standing, staring at, standing on the ground, staring at the mouth of Everest right now. You know what I mean? Like it's such a big, big, thing and so I guess you just start small you just start kind of like we did we talked about at the beginning where you just start and kind of go with you can and you just try to remember that you're you're starting every day yeah well and if you the biggest and most important thing that you can take away from this that shouldn't feel quite as overwhelming is that your children are their own people And if you teach them that they are their own person and that they can trust their own instincts and then you model for them the things that you want them to be able to understand, if you model for them the way that, um, like if you, if you model consent for them, then for them, the violation of consent is going to ring a bell that it's awkward or off-putting or this isn't right. You know, we are we're already fully formed humans. You know, we turned 30 this last week. Lori is, well, didn't you just turn 32? Like five days before us or yeah. three days before yeah. us? 30 yeah. also, so, I mean, not 32. Oh yeah, you're we're right. Six days All apart. of us. Yes, yes exactly. we're just a few days apart. 
All of us <laughs> I was the printer triplet. Exactly. Right. <laughs> All of us just turned 30 this week. We are fully formed people. So our understandings, and that's that's sometimes why it does feel so overwhelming to change the way that we are teaching our children. Um, that is different than how we were taught or even different how we experience things is to remember that they are malleable right now. If you teach them now the things that you took years and years to learn, they don't have to rewrite any of the stuff that we had to rewrite. It is harder to go through and change the habit than it is to just go ahead and teach the right habit at first. So Ooh, you don't have we to could have a worry about teaching your daughters. <laughs> we can. But you don't have to go well, back through. You don't have to sit here and think about, here's everything I need to overwrite my child's instinct of like squashing down their own sense of personal boundaries. And, oh, I have to reteach them their understanding of themselves. And, oh, I have to reteach them, you know, um, how to to listen to their gut they're already listening to their gut like you said at the very beginning toddlers are honest so all you have to do is teach them that being honest is not taking up too much space it's not being wrong it's not being loud it's okay and then they you're giving them the space to keep doing that right and i think their gut and so often especially like i don't know i think men are taught to ignore their gut too because i don't think it's used in the same way but i would say like their gut instinct is never wrong we just have to learn to understand how much of an effect it should have on us yes and it's a tool and context like yeah and so if your gut is telling you a situation is off it's better to listen to that it's better to learn you know and it's better to be cautious and then come back later and say you know i was kind of wrong about that like let's see what about it made me feel off or how I can hone that in for next time because yeah. I think when we really start to allow our gut to give us a little bit more guidance right because I do think we know a lot of the time um, allow our gut to give us a little bit more guidance and that becomes a stronger and stronger tool for us to use yes yeah the more you use it it's like a muscle the more you use it the stronger it's going to get and the more you're going to know how to apply it you know if you're just handing a kid a toolbox full of tools, they don't really know how to do it. But if you are, you know, guiding them through that process and modeling for them how to use it, you know, all right, my two-year-old knows how to use a hammer. You know why? He's watched his brother and his dad hammer things. So does he know how to use it appropriately? Does he still need guidance? Absolutely. But he has seen it modeled. Nobody had to put it in his hand and go, this is how you use a hammer. Like children are absorbing what you're showing them. They can feel how you're treating them. They are understanding the boxes that you try to shove them in. Um, And so that's where as parents, this can feel really overwhelming because you do have such a high level of impact, but it also should feel manageable because at the end of the day, you can always redirect at the end of the day. You can always go, I didn't do this. I mean, again, I wish that I could go back to 2020 and tell my husband and myself like, hey, don't worry about your kid. She's going to be able to drive before she goes to college. She's going to be safe. She's going to be okay. But that's over. It's over and done with. And I can just say right now, sorry, Rory. (laughs) Like, you know, we 
you it, you can't it comes from an important place it comes from a place of caring and love we were just worried that i was going to be big fat and pregnant and not she wouldn't be able to do anything fun because i wasn't going to be able to drive her anywhere anymore and she would have all these things that she wanted to do and she would be frustrated with us that we had failed her and we hadn't pushed her but at the end of the day we were able to go okay you know what actually it is her life it is her existence and she should be the person in control of it and then once you make that thing then you have to back it up with all of your actions and so um even though it feels like everest you still have to climb it one foot at a time like one foot in front of the other so just to kind of wrap up this conversation like if you were to give like one piece of advice of where to start today each of you like, so technically we can have two pieces of advice. I think everybody could probably handle two. But like, <laughs> and, and maybe I'll give one too, because what I'm hearing is like my place to start would be to like reinforce when I'm hearing instances of even my daughter as young as she is saying yes more or all done. Like even even if it's just reinforcing, like I hear you say that we are still in the grocery store, but I hear you say that, that would be a good place to yeah. start. Lori, where would yeah, you start? A- like where would you say that a, a, like a, a younger mom or maybe a mom who's starting fresh today, like where they would start? Is it Would it be modeling for you? Absolutely. I think for me, the first place I would start is yourself and your relationship, whether it be with a spouse, a partner, friendships that your kids see you in all of the time. Um, With your child, I have put my two-year-old on a couch, on a separate couch from me, because she, at the time, could not respect my boundary. She wouldn't stop climbing all over me. And I had told her at least three times she hadn't stopped. And so I put her on a separate couch and she cried and I looked at her and I just said, no means no, this is my body. And, you know, she was two, you know, she doesn't fully understand what's happening, but she gets that when someone says no, that was upsetting for both of us. Um, And so mine was absolutely like live by example, but do the work on yourself. Like a lot of us need to retrain ourselves. Um, to actually pay attention and some of that is in our partnerships at home yeah I mean that could that could be a mountain in itself too but I like I like that that's that's a good place to start as well to start to like recognize areas of your own life and how you can model it because it is such an important step and so then it also helps with overstimulation like if you give yourself boundaries and actually respect them not only are you teaching your child something important which means you're not neglecting them because some parents do feel that way like if they're not allowing their child access to them I'm still breastfeeding and every time I have to be like no get off of me for a second I'm not uh, yes I'm denying him sustenance but he's gonna get it it's just I need to be I need to have my own personal boundaries and respect my own and I'll be honest that's where it started for me that's where it started for me I was getting overstimulated and I'm not gonna be a nice mom like I'm just not if I'm overstimulated. Yeah. And well, instead, like it ended up being a twofold thing. I could calm down and recognize what was going wrong with me and that I did not give my consent. And then I could teach her by modeling it that, you know, I respect how I'm feeling 
and we all win in the long run, right? Like well, if you start to learn now, is that, your like, body communicating? Right. And if yes, you start to yeah. learn now that like I respect how I feel, then you will hopefully respect how you feel. Yeah. I love Ooh, that those that. are too. <laughs> snaps. Yay. Um, I love that those were your two because mine is always going to come around to communication and language. If your child can communicate and you can have that open pathway of communication with them about anything, even if it's hard for you to talk about with them, even if it's something that you don't feel like you have the answer to, if your child understands how to communicate and has some form of language or sign or ability to communicate a boundary or a lack of consent, then you are equipping them to be able to have this stair step. So those are, I mean, I, if there were three I points, that. those are practical. Made, that's it. Yeah. Because I think if your child has language, I think if you're modeling and I think if you are listening to your child, trying to express boundaries, because that's what's Communication is always going to be my favorite because we did have a child who was um, like behind developmentally on communication. And I just remember feeling so heartbroken seeing how frustrated he was because he knew what he wanted and couldn't communicate it to us. And that is always going to be really strong for me. Um, but like you guys are right. Like, I think if you could work on those, if you could get communication, if you could get modeling, if you can listen when your child, even if they are young and they're crying and you don't know a hundred percent what they're crying about, if you could take yourself through real quick and be like, okay, wait, are they upset about something? My, my baby hates clothing. And we have known that since he was a month old, like he was a naked baby all summer long now whether or not that's because he's hot natured or whatever like we knew at two or three months old if he was absolutely screaming while you're trying to get a onesie on him it's actually easier to just put a pair of shorts on him and let him you know wrap him up in a blanket it's june in in tennessee like he's okay but not every parent would kind of have that you don't have the space to have that awareness when you're a parent and you're overwhelmed like you don't have the ability to go, okay, wait, I'm seeing a pattern here. Like my child doesn't have the word to express this, but they're expressing it with their emotions. And so if you can start there, if you can start understanding once something's expressed and is a boundary and, um, you know, if you can, if you can model that for yourself and identify that for yourself, then the rest of this just builds. It all builds on itself. And the truest answer is that any of it that you can teach them is helpful. You don't have to give them every single piece of knowledge and be an A plus teacher of this. If you can get them started on the right track, then they're okay. Well, that is awesome. And that's practical. And those are, those yeah. are smaller places to start. Um, okay. So I think we are going to wrap up this conversation before all of our children wake up from their naps. Mine is um, awake and angry. I can hear him. <laughs> so I have well, to go. Then he's communicating something to you. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, But you guys are both really good moms. I think 
any parent who's just even aware of the concept that they have such high impact with their child and, and trying to always further their own sense of knowledge to help their child is just really rocking it out because it, it's hard. It's hard out here in these streets. By that, I mean nurseries. <laughs> yes, it is. All right. Well, you're a good mom. You're a good mom. Both of you. I'm looking at you individually in the eyes. There um, we go. In the eyeballs. And and you, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm looking you in the eye. You're a good mom. <laughs> uh, Thank you. And we will we'll wrap it up.